Well, good morning. I hate to I hate to disrupt all your fellowship. It always I just always feel like such a heel when I have to do that, but you know, we've got to, we've got to study God's word this morning. So, if you would all just come in and find your seat, that would be great. Um so if this is your first Sunday with us, my name is Travis Hall. I'm one of the one of the deacons here at HGC, and we're so glad to have you here with us. Also, if this is your first Sunday, if there is one in front of you, uh, we have a thing called a connect card in the sleeves in the chair. Go ahead, fill that out, drop it in the tithe and, tithes and offering box. Also, if you're wondering, where does my tithe and offering go? We have a box right back there, so we would love your tithes. Um, <laughs> we're pro-tithe here, sorry. Anyways... Um, so this morning, I want to start by reading a quote from Archibald Brown. Um, so if you've never heard of Archibald Brown, he kind of flies under the radar. Uh, he was one of Charles Spurgeon's students. He also pastored for three years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the same church that Spurgeon himself uh, pastored at. Uh, he has a book called The Face of Jesus Christ, and it's just a collection of sermons uh, it's been a book that I just read periodically and just have been really, really enjoying it. Um, so in this quote, in his book, The Face of Jesus Christ, he says this, Christianity is all centered around a person. Conversion is not a mere change of human opinion. It is the devotion of heart to a person. A converted man is not a man who just changes his views concerning certain facts or theories, or doctrines, but he is a man whose heart has become devoted to a living Christ. He is altogether lovely. It is he. Oh, may God take the impersonal pronoun out of our religion. All your religion, if it is worth anything, will be just centered in a living, personal Jesus. Your doctrines will all come from him. Your motives will all be found in him. Your joys in him. Your acceptance in him. Your completeness in him. So this morning I have, I have a simple question for us. Are you devoted to a living Christ? Does your life broadcast, I'm devoted to Jesus? What or who are you devoted to? See, we can enjoy a lot of great things in this life. We can enjoy good food. I know I do. Good friends, good times with family, hard work, working out, hobbies, movies, books, etc., etc. I could go on. And we should enjoy these things. They're, they're, they're not in themselves bad things. But we must not be devoted to them. So again, I ask, does your life broadcast that you are devoted to Jesus? This morning, we're going to be eyewitnesses, so to speak, to, to life broadcasts of one group of people and two individuals. Their actions will broadcast their devotions. This episode of Mark is an episode of memorable but even haunting devotion. So let us stand for the reading of God's word. So we're going to be in Mark 14, 
We're going to be in the. We're going to look at the first eleven verses. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, "Not during the feast." lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have sold for more than 300 denarii, And given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Lord, I thank you for this morning for us to once again to, to gather together. I thank you that, that those of us who ventured out in this cold weather, that we made it here safely. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would see holes in our lives where we need to work on to be more devoted to you, that we would ask ourselves the simple question, are we devoted to Jesus? Lord, I pray this morning that you would convict hearts where they need to be convicted, but you would also encourage them where they need to be encouraged. Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be from you, that I would just get out of the way. Lord, we love you, and it is your name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. So we're just gonna we're gonna break this down into three sections. We're gonna look at again, we're gonna look at a group of people and two individuals. So we're just gonna sort of take this in turn and break this apart. So let's look again at verse one. It was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So what do the chief priests and scribes want to do? What do these religious leaders want to do? They have a very simple task in front of them that they want to achieve. They want to to arrest and murder Jesus. See, all these plans, all these meetings that they were having were were clandestine. They're shrouded in, in, in the darkness of secrecy. And see, by the way, these religious leaders were very selfish men, but they were not stupid. And by the way, selfish people are very seldom stupid. Selfish people tend to be very calculating and manipulative. But see, they knew that they could not risk publicly arresting Jesus because they had to wait for this massive crowd to thin out a bit. 
So these massive crowds would disperse about a week after Passover. If you recall from weeks prior, thousands and thousands of people from all over the world traveled to make it to Jerusalem just to celebrate Passover. So there's people everywhere, and these religious leaders knew that they had to be cautious of these massive crowds. They knew that Passover time could be a time for riot if something happened to anger the people. So they decide not to arrest and murder this popular Galilean preacher, but they're gonna, their plan is to wait about a week after Passover and after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. However, their plans would change. They just didn't know it yet. And, and one other thing to note here, when Mark says the chief priests and scribes, this is just not like a few men who are scheming they represented the governing Jewish authorities. So, so this plan to arrest and murder Jesus was an official decree and, carried, and it was carried out by the force of law. So, so why did they want to arrest and murder Jesus? Because simply they were devoted to themselves. And all that Jesus taught confronted and challenged them. See, individuals who are devoted to themselves don't take correction very well. And by the way, Jesus offered more than just correction. We, we were with Jesus in the temple in Mark 12. See, Jesus waged a full frontal assault against these religious leaders. He proclaimed to any that would listen that they were corrupt and that they had corrupted the temple. Under their leadership, the Jewish center of worship had become a center of treachery. See, these were men, these men were thieves hiding behind religious disguise. So Jesus went as far as to tell anyone who would listen to tell the people, you cannot trust your leaders. So, of course, by their thought process, Jesus needed to, be, needed to be murdered and arrested. See, they wanted to hold sway over people and maintain their power. They wanted to be revered, respected, admired, and dignified and distinguished. They wanted to hold all the power and to be feared. These men wanted obedience, not accountability. Listen. When you run into leaders who want obedience but not accountability, please run. If, if we as a leadership team here at HGC demand obedience over accountability, please run out the doors. I've encountered men like this, not here, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for, for when Pastor Nate texts me this week and he's like, hey, one of my goals for 2020 is more accountability. I'm like, come on, that is so good. That is what we need. We need leaders who are held accountable, not leaders who demand obedience. See, these, these religious leaders should have been the ones who were planning Jesus' coronation as the coming king. As instead, they were seeking out to murder and arrest, to arrest and murder him. Why? Because they were devoted to themselves. 
See, they wanted Jesus to serve their interests. They had no inclination. They had no desire to serve Jesus' interests. See, Jesus came and disrupted their world. He wrecked their world. So he had to be arrested and murdered. See, they had no room for Jesus in their lives. They were primarily devoted to themselves. The reason being because people devoted to themselves expect Jesus to do what they want for them. See, Jesus doesn't fit in around our hopes and dreams. He reorients them. He redirects them. You can't have plans for Jesus. You have to submit to his plans for you. He's not someone that you can use to get what you want. He is not someone that you add to what you're doing with your life. Jesus is someone who is meant to completely alter your life. We know that. For those of us who, who, who are followers of Christ, those of us who are as marked as Christian, we know that, that on that day that we came to saving faith, that he altered everything. He changed everything. See, those devoted to themselves only want Jesus if he can give them what they want. So my question this morning, is that where you find yourself this morning? Because Jesus doesn't promise to give you all your hopes and dreams. He doesn't promise to make your life better or give you success. I don't care what anyone says, but that's not what he promises. Do you understand this? Because the, these religious leaders did not. They were devoted to themselves. So again, they had to arrest and murder Jesus. So what did the lives of the religious leaders broadcast? Devotion to self. So we've met these religious leaders, and now we're going to meet an anonymous woman devoted to someone altogether different. Pick it up in verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So this is what we call a, a, a scene shift. We, we, we go from a secretive meeting with the religious leaders to Jesus. And we join Jesus about two miles from Jerusalem in Bethany. He and his 12 disciples are having dinner at, at a home of a man named Simon. Now, 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 Simon was one of the most common names at that time. So Mark tells us which Simon it was. It was Simon the leper. And, and we don't know why he had that nickname. Maybe, maybe Jesus had healed him. We don't, we don't really know. Um, but out of nowhere comes this identified, unidentified woman, this nameless woman, and her actions fixes everyone's attentions to her. Along the way, she just sort of jumps into history and the pages of Scripture. So what did she do? She anointed Jesus. And this just means to pour something on someone's head. So in that day, it was custom 
to, it was typical for guests to be given a bit of oil for their head when they came over for dinner. So, so in a way, it was like getting the dust off their hair, covering, on, covering up unwelcome odors, getting, um, getting rid of bugs, stuff like that. So, so now, if you go to someone's house and they give you a bit of oil, they're probably saying that you stink. But anyways, they're saying you're ripe. Um, but, but see, she does something totally different here. She anoints Jesus, but it's not like a common essential oil. It's not like she's, she's breaking out the lavender or frankincense or the peppermint. She's using something Mark calls pure nard. So, so the nard plant, which, which the oil came from, was taken from the distant lands of India, Nepal, and the Himalayas. This potion, this oil was very expensive, so expensive that some in the room started to scold her. Um, so, so the reason that some in this room had started the, to scold her is they thought that, that pouring this nard on his head was an extravagant and unnecessary waste of money. Again, the value was 300 denarii. So, so I know in the Hall House, like, I don't know what a denarii values out at, but I do know in the Hall House, $300 is a big deal. $3 is a big deal. Um, I have the best, most frugal wife on the face of the planet. It's awesome. But this would have been about a year's wage for a day laborer. So a day laborer would be like a blue-collar worker. This is not a small sum of money. So what does Jesus think? Does, Does Jesus think it's a waste? He says to them, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She did it for Jesus. She anointed him for burial which is a, a, a fairly strange thing to say. See, kings were often anointed, kings were anointed before they were coronated. Jesus was a king, but he was coronated prior to his murder. This woman may not have understood everything about Jesus or all that he was going to do, but she understood one thing, that this man, this king, the Savior is worth any sacrifice. She showed her, her devotion to Jesus by devoting to him her most costly possession. See, everyone in that room that day knew that she was devoted to a living Christ. Her actions, not her words, not her thoughts, but her actions broadcasted her devotion to Jesus. Do yours? Like, are, are you willing to be, to be scolded or shunned as an outsider for the way you devote so much time to Jesus? Are you willing to show your devotion to Jesus and how you spend your money in ways that others will never understand? Are you willing to have people look at your life and the way you live your life for Jesus and have them mock you, shame you? Are you? 
See, Jesus said she did a beautiful thing for him because she didn't just say she was devoted to him. She showed it. So we've seen, the, we've seen two broadcasts so far. The religious leaders devoted to themselves, the nameless woman devoted to Jesus. Last we, lastly, we meet someone devoted to himself like the religious leaders, but with a different twist. The next man we meet was close to Jesus, but not devoted to him. He was devoted to himself, however. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to, to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So if you're, if you're new to the Bible, maybe you've never even opened a Bible this morning there is a good chance that you've probably heard the name Judas Iscariot or at least the name Judas. So this Judas was close to Jesus, but clearly not devoted to him. We don't know why exactly that he turned away from Jesus, but we do know he was not devoted to Jesus, even though Judas gave every appearance he was devoted See, Judas had lived and worked and followed with Jesus for three years. He had heard when Jesus said, follow me. He had heard his preaching. He had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. He probably talked with him in private. He had experienced his love. He watched as Jesus calmed the storm. He saw Jesus feed thousands twice. He was there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was sent out to preach in the name of Jesus. Countless conversations. He saw how Jesus loved others, and he experienced how Jesus loved him. But here is the thing. Being close to Jesus is no guarantee of devotion to Jesus. See, Judas looked for an opportunity to, to betray Jesus to the very people who wanted to arrest and murder him. Why? And Mark does not tell us directly, but he does give us a hint. When he went to the, to the religious leaders, they were excited and they promised to give him money. We don't know why Judas made the decision that he made to turn on Jesus, but we do know what he got as a reward. Money. See, in that moment, Judas showed himself to be devoted to money instead of Jesus. And clearly, Judas had saw his relationship with Jesus as an asset. It is something that he could cash in on. He chose to sell Jesus out. His devotion to himself and money outmatched his devotion to Jesus. He valued silver more than the Savior. And it could have been that Judas had said, hey, if I can't get what I want 
from Jesus, I'll make my own opportunity and I'll make a profit along the way. I mean, what can money really do for him? Maybe give him a, a little bit of power and control? I mean, that, that seems to be what he wanted. It, it could be that he thought when, when Jesus said, follow me, that he thought that following Jesus would mean that he'd just have some like cushy job in his kingdom. But when he understood, when he saw that this king would not sit on a throne, but would hang on a cross, he realized what that meant for him. See, it was not good business to follow someone destined for a cross. His followers would be treated the same way. And in in Judas' mind, it was time to cash out. And that is exactly what he did, because again, he was devoted to himself. Just because you have been close to Jesus for years and years does not mean that you are exempt from becoming disillusioned and wanting to cash out, so to speak. Being close to Jesus is not the same thing as being devoted to Jesus. You can can read your Bible every day. You can pray. You can serve others. You can serve in Awana. You can go to community group. You can do all these programs, do all these good things, by the way. Awana, great. Community group, great. Serving great. You can sing. You can can give your little heart out. You can go to church. You can even preach. You can do all these things and still be devoted to yourself. Because Judas did. Judas did not get what he wanted from Jesus and he plotted his escape. Is that where you find yourself this morning? Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you won't admit it, but, but silently, secretly, are you thinking of a way to, 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 to run from the Lord? And maybe, maybe your marriage just isn't that great right now. Maybe, you're, maybe your health is on the decline. Maybe you don't have an extra dollar bill. Maybe your husband is just thoughtless and your wife is distant and cold. Maybe you're still afraid. Maybe you think, man, that guy over there, he has it so much easier than me. And you just thought that things would be easier. And you don't like the idea of dying daily to follow a crucified Savior. You don't like the idea of dying to yourself to follow Jesus. And maybe right now, Jesus just doesn't seem to be making any of these things better. Is that where you are? Are you tempted to cash out? Man, I pray that's not where you find yourself this morning. Because we've met the leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. We've met the woman who was devoted to Jesus and the man who would betray Jesus, the traitor, Judas. At the beginning, I said this episode set this up as being an episode of of memorable, even haunting devotion. And and now some of you might think I'm talking about the devotion of the woman. Let's again look at verse 9. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So her story of devotion is amazing. It is worthy of repeating. It is of celebrating, 
but her story cannot change us. It can challenge us. It can make us ask ourselves some really hard questions about the measure of our own personal devotion. But see, there is another story of devotion in this passage that we need to consider. We need to consider what Jesus said. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed. This is one of the few times in Mark we hear the word gospel coming out of the mouth of Jesus. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the greatest story of devotion the world has ever known. The gospel is the story of devotion. This is the story that we must see and understand this morning. So how is the gospel a story of devotion? The answer is always the same. It's Jesus. We look at Jesus. Who was Jesus devoted to? His Father by the power of the Spirit. Yes. Who else? Humanity. His people. You and me. The woman broke a flask of nard for Jesus. Jesus was broken for you. There were some who scoffed at her devotion and said, what a waste. There were some who scoffed at the idea of a crucified Savior and they said, how can a king die? The ointment was valuable. The Savior was invaluable. Look at Jesus and, and, and just try, if you can, to measure his devotion for you. You can't. See, he is devoted to you with an eternal devotion. Not only that, but he does not, not merely say he is devoted to us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't write notes proclaiming love. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't paint pictures announcing his love. He shows his devotion by dying in our place. So how could someone have that kind of devotion? There's only really one answer, and that's infinite love. At the, be at the beginning, again, we talked about haunting devotion. See, you look and see Jesus, and you see the one who has infinite love for you. See, this gospel is a story of the all-surpassing love of Jesus for sinners, and for his people. There was absolutely zero reason, there was no reason that Jesus deserved to be murdered in the place of sinners, in the place of you and I. His life broadcasted devotion at every turn. He obeyed the Father. He loved the Father with all his soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. Like, has anyone in this room really loved their neighbor like Jesus would? No. Like, Jesus would be the best neighbor in the world. Like, dude, it would be so legit. But we don't, we, we're just not like that. We don't love our neighbor like Jesus does. But see, the story of devotion goes further back. It goes further back than the cross. See, not only was there no reason that Jesus deserved to die, but there was also no reason for him to come. He departed paradise 
for earth. He, depart, he came to us out of love, not because we are deserving, not because we are deserving, but because, but because we are undeserving people. The one who clothed himself with light put on the flesh of humanity. The one to whom the heavenly host sang and bowed to departed to have the, the earthly host spit on and mock him. The one who called the galaxies into being departed to call humanity to himself. The one who had all power over all things departed to give up all power for the good of his people. The one who surpassed all beauty departed and bore the scorn of God surpassing all others. Why? Infinite love. This is a love that in some measure should haunt us. And by that I mean it it should be something that we just can't easily shake off. I mean, let's look at how does Jesus call us? By frightening us? By befriending us? By threatening us? by, By consulting us? No. He calls us by loving us. And, and I know that, that there's, a, there's a popular opinion that, that, that sometimes we preach too much about the love of God. And I would agree with that to an extent. However, I do not think that we think enough about the infinite love that Christ has for us. Because we become so aware of remaining sin, and by the way, it is there and very, very real. But it pales in comparison to the love that he has for us. It pales in comparison to the love that he has for you. We cannot afford to be blind to his infinite love for us. We cannot. See, the gospel story is a story of unbridled devotion for his people. By the way, Jesus knew love. He knew what it was like to be loved by the Father. For all eternity, he experienced love from and love to God. And he left so that we might experience that kind of love ourselves. See, Jesus has come to bring God's love to us. And you might say, hey, I don't deserve this kind of love. And if Jesus was here, right here, he'd say, exactly, you don't, you get it. You don't deserve it. But check out what Thomas Watson said. Consider for whom Jesus came. Was it to his friends? No. He came for sinful man who defaced his image and abused his love and rebelled against him. Yet he came to man resolving to conquer our stubbornness with his kindness. Jesus devoted himself to death to give us life. And when you see and understand and begin to grapple with the fact that Jesus is devoted to you, being devoted to him is no chore at all. Remember the question we asked at the beginning. What does your life broadcast? And before you answer that, we have to remember the broadcast of Jesus' life. Devoted to the Father, 
Yes. Devoted to you? Also yes. It's pretty simple. Be devoted to Jesus because he is devoted to you. He is devoted to his people. It is no chore to love someone who loves us like Jesus. There is no one who loves us like Jesus. There is no one who loves you like Jesus. But, and here is the big thing. Here is the thing I need you to see this morning. We must be devoted to Jesus on his terms, not ours, on his terms. He doesn't promise to give you everything you want. He doesn't promise to give you the marriage of your dreams or marriage at all for that matter. He doesn't promise to give you physical, robust health, men. He doesn't promise to, to make you look like the rock or whatever. He doesn't promise that. Some of you are probably going to look more like Chris Farley, but you know, it's, it's okay. He doesn't promise these things. He doesn't promise a thoughtful husband. Wives, I'm really sorry, but, it, but it's not promised. He doesn't promise a respectful wife. He doesn't promise a life without temptation. I think that's something that we need to hear. He does not promise a life without temptation. He does not promise an easy life, a life without disappointment. By the way, it is so good to pray for these things. If you're in this room and you desire a husband, you desire a wife, that is a good thing to pray for. But it's not promised. Worship team, you can come up. About a year ago, I read an extremely sad account, I believe it was on the Gospel Coalition, about a pastor who served in various positions, and he just chose to walk away from Jesus. He said in, in, in his post or whatever, in 40 years, I've never witnessed a single event that was supernatural. Not one. Time and again, I watched people die of cancer. I did funerals for 47 people from the age of 4 to 96. I prayed in faith with hundreds of people for healing to no avail. God didn't answer prayers. My marriage was a sham. Prayer was never answered. Miracles were never performed. People died. Children rebelled. Marriages failed. And addictions occurred. All at the same rate as non-believers. The system just doesn't work. I pastored mega churches and tiny churches. I did college ministry, campus ministry, youth ministry, music ministry, preaching ministry, church planning, everything in the church except children's ministry. And what I saw was people desperate for a system to work for them. You know, he'd probably still be saved if he, if he worked in children's ministry. But anyways, um, that has a lot of angst and anger to it, doesn't it? And see, we, this is not just a one-time isolated thing. We have, we have people all the time who are just saying, I'm done. I'm cashing out. There was a prominent pastor author who wrote a book on dating for Christians who just recently announced, hey, I'm divorcing my wife and I'm no longer a Christian. There's a popular thing within, within the millennial age group, and, and I'm a millennial so I can sort of dog on them. It's okay. Where we... we they, they say, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. Like, what, what does that even mean? It just sounds silly. I have, I have a person who was influential in me coming to the Lord recently. He was saying, I don't know if I believe 
in God anymore because life is just too hard. And if I could sit, and you know, I don't even care about, I, I do care about the other people, but if I could sit the person who I love dearly down and just say, please listen, because you, you are trying to come to Jesus on your terms. You're not coming to Jesus on his terms. He doesn't promise answered prayers or miraculous healings. He promises himself. He is devoted to his people. And here's what he offers. He offers forgiveness to the sinful. Hope to the outcast. Love to the unworthy. And we are so unworthy. He offers righteousness to the profane. He offers life, actual life, a home. He offers himself. His devotion to you will never waver or fail. And it won't always make sense. But he is devoted to you. So let me ask you what I asked you at the beginning. What does your life broadcast? Not the person sitting next to you, not your husband, not your wife, but your life. Do people look at you? Do non-believers look at you and go, man, there's something different about that girl. There's something different about that guy. They love Jesus. And don't look at the woman and say, I I wish I could be more like her. Look at this Savior, that this Savior that we see here in the Bible and say, I am glad he is devoted to me. And then, and only then can you ask, how can I be devoted to him? How? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your devotion to us. An undeserving people, people who are prone to wander. Lord, you chose to come and live a life that we could not live, a perfect, sinless life. You put on the flesh of humanity, and then you chose to be obedient to the Father, and you went on the cross and you died for us. You died in our place. And then you rose again on the third day. And that, that for those who don't believe in you, if they believe in that gospel, they can be saved. And Lord, I pray if there are people in here this morning who don't know you, that they would turn to you, they would believe the gospel. Because we have eternity to look forward to with you. Lord, I do pray that we would ask ourselves often, Are we devoted to Christ? Lord, we love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.